This is the Leading Second Podcast, where we're on a mission to equip local churches everywhere to raise up uncommon leaders. The Leading Second Podcast releases every Thursday morning. So hit follow and share this episode with your team. Now let's jump into another episode for all of us who lead from the middle. This is the year of the leader. This is the Leading Second Podcast. Welcome back to season six of the Leading Second Podcast. So excited you're here today. Uh, We've created this space for all of us who lead from the middle. So if you just have that heart, you want to get it right for your pastor, you want to carry the weight of ministry for them, you want to represent your church well, welcome to Leading Second Podcast today. Uh, This space is for you. And hey, it's the year of the leader here on the Leading Second Podcast. We're having conversations we need to have because we believe that leadership can happen anywhere by anyone. And so however you have found this space today, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to our tribe. And uh, we have a great interview on tap for you today. And setting this up, I have a couple friends with me uh, from the jump. First of all, the amazing Jesse Rodriguez from my home church, Champions Center. Say what's up to everybody, Jesse. Hey, hey, good to be on, everyone. Hey, good to have you on. And I have, of course, Matt and Jennifer Martin, a brilliant XPs from North Rock Church in San Antonio. Say what's up to everybody. Hey, hey, glad to be here. Hello, everyone. So glad to be on with you today. When I want to have a brilliant conversation, I invite the Martins. Sorry, Jesse. Mm. Uh, mm. But they, they are awesome. And uh, hey, all three of you are coaches, a part of our coaching groups. I love y'all. Thankful for y'all. Let's bust a myth here for a second. There, There's a myth. John Maxwell calls it the position myth. And it's the idea that I can't lead if I'm not at the top. Why is that a myth? We We, we are calling foul on that here at Ladies Second, but why is that a myth, Jesse Rodriguez? It's such a big myth. Before there's ever a title, um, something we're saying at our church this year is the informal leader, a leader without no title, but is still leading. And you never have a leader that gets a title if they were never leading without a title before. And so why is that a myth? Before you get a title, I'm pretty sure whatever position you're in, you are already leading informally, and that allowed you to eventually get the title. So everyone, without a title, you are still leading the way for your organization, for your business, for your church yeah. in informal. Yeah. yeah. And, and man, it's just so important that we see that. You know, we, we are using that term at our church, the informal leader, because we're, we're empowering a whole new group of people to walk in the room and just lead you know, to own the room, even, even without the title. And I I love that you brought that up because I just think too many opt out of leadership because we don't, we don't see ourselves in that way. I mean, wouldn't you guys agree when, when new people come to our churches, I mean, most times on their first or even several first Sundays, they're not meeting the pastor, you know, but yet they're deciding whether they're going to be a part of the church. Who are they meeting? They're meeting us, you know, they're interacting with the team. They're interacting with everyone is leading from the middle. It's just so important that we get this right. I guess, Jen, why is this a myth? I can't lead if I'm not at the top. 
Mm. Yeah, John Maxwell says leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. So that totally debunks this idea that it's a title or a position. Um, all of us have some sort of influence, whether it's in our home, our small group, the 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 you know the the team that we're leading at our church or at our at our work, and it's influence. If we net, you know, if 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 all we were after was a title, I just don't think we would be that great of a leader. Um, so I, I think that the, we, you know, the title has absolutely nothing to do with it. It's, it's influence. Who are you influencing and, um, how are you influencing them? And, and I think that that makes great leaders paying attention absolutely. to that. Absolutely. Matt Martin, you're up. Why is this a myth? I can't lead if I'm not at the top. A little bit that it starts with, especially that makes this a myth is that, that at the end of the day, titles leave you empty, but impact mm. fulfills you. And mm. I can have all the title that I, the titles that I want to have, but if I'm not making an impact, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the title wow. is. And so as I look at it, even in my own leadership journey, and as we develop leaders uh, in our space, I'm looking at who's making the impact. I, I don't care what your title is. I don't, I don't care what title you even aspire to be. Because if you're aspiring too hard to a title, I'm probably going to look the other way because you're probably mm. not making much of an impact. You're just a lot of hot air <laughs> spouting off. But um, when you look around and where you're this, – this, the space you're in, you have the opportunity to make the choice to make an impact. And when yep. you choose to do that, that, that gets us away from this idea that leadership is a destination, but that yep. leadership truly is a journey. and. Yep. Even if I have the title at the top of the organization, I've not arrived. I, I still have to work harder to 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 stay on the leadership journey to be able to take the organization where it needs to go next. So, I, th I think that's a big part of it. Is very good. Is you know we we miss out on that and and we let this myth uh, ruin way too many leaders because yep. it's just yep. not true. I've heard you say that leadership is a choice you make, not a place you sit, and that, that that's a. That's a quote. And I, I believe we need to see that about yeah. ourselves. And yeah. so I'm praying that today's conversation is going to give us language. We're calling today's conversation. I am with you. And today you're going to hear from a brilliant leader, Nate Pacini, who's the executive pastor at Substance Church in the Minneapolis area, Minnesota. He has a brilliant heart for his pastor, for his church and really gives language to the calling and the assignment of what that is and what that sounds like. So, so excited for our tribe to meet Nate, to hear from him today. So without further ado, let's go to my conversation with Nate Pacini called I Am With You. Let's go. Well, hey, I want to say a huge welcome to the Leading Second Podcast to my friend, Nate Puccini. What uh, what's that? up? How you doing, man? So good to be on here. I'm so excited. I'm so glad to have you on and thanks for doing this today. You are from Substance Church in Minneapolis, yes. Minnesota. Yes, Substance Church here in Minneapolis, uh, multi-site church in the Twin Cities and uh Get to serve my pastors, Pastor Peter and Carolyn, that started this church 18, about 18 years ago. Um, we're also a part of ARC, which is the Association of Related Churches. We we're In fact, we we're ARC church plant number 15. So early Oh, come on, on somebody. And my pastors serve on the, the lead team of ARC. And then I help a lot with the ARC globally and then specifically here in the States. So 
That's awesome. I mean, I think it's like over a thousand now. So you're the OG yeah. at yeah, this we point. Over a thousand fifty seven now. So really early on in the process before there were any standards. So we we just snuck in there. So <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Well, hey, I'm so glad to be talking with you today. I can't think of someone more fun and life-giving in ministry than you. Uh, you are you have an incredible spirit and incredible revelation just about leading in the second chair. So I just thought I'd go straight up the middle today and we could just have that conversation about life and leadership in the second chair. But before we get there, tell us about uh, your family. Tell us about you. You know, my wife is from Minneapolis. I don't know if I ever told you that. Uh, I know you she is in Minneapolis, right? She you is were- from. Well, I lived out there for a couple of years, but uh, okay. she is from south of the Twin Cities. Let's go. She is she a Vikings fan? Is that is that even matter? Uh, she go has ahead. now now lived longer in Seattle than she ever okay. did in Minnesota. So it's it's Seahawks, baby, all the way. Come on. I, hey, I'm all about the Seahawks. So a great team. No one's a loyal Vikings fan in Minnesota, so it's okay. Uh, <laughs> I've been married 20 years now, 20 years this year, and have two kids, uh, Noah and Addie. They're 13 and 11. Uh, so my wife, Jess, she actually works at the church, and she is a designer. And so she owns her own boutique, does design, and then does oh, design wow. for the So both on the team here, and just such an honor to serve our pastors, Pastor Peter and Carolyn. And uh, they co-lead our church together, both highly involved in the administration and, and vision of the church. And so I, I, I serve as the executive pastor here, getting to help with, mm. with Substance Church. Uh, we have Substance Studios, which is where our record label is in publishing. And then our Dis- Substance Discipleship Leadership Network that we, we help lead. So helping those three areas, serving them. So such That's an awesome. Honor. And yeah. 13 and 11 I have an 11 year old daughter as well. So we just need prayer (laughs) in it. In it. I was, I, one of the thoughts that came to mind when it came about ministry and life and my kids are now both in youth ministry, which is just crazy. I care more about youth ministry today than I've ever cared about youth ministry. It's a lot of oversight right now for me, but I was struck by this scripture in Psalm 37. It says, uh, I was young and now I am old. And uh, that, that, that's the first half. Oh my gosh. definitely feel old. I, I try to be, I try to stay youthful, but I, you know, when, when, <laughs> when the halftime show at the Super Bowl is like, finally they're youthful and they're appealing to me and you realize everyone's 50, you, you realize how old you are. <laughs> <laughs> so, exactly, exactly. And maybe, maybe you and I need to figure out where the line is from uh, trying to stay youthful, you know, you know, being youthful to trying to look youthful. Yeah, I don't know where that my, line is, but my kid said I'm a cool dad, so I just receive it. I think they're still a little sheltered, but I'll take it until they. I don't know how they speak though. These kids talk. I'm officially saying all the things my parents said. I'm old man. I know. So I know. I don't know but, the language that's cool anymore, but I can't what, remember what I cap to, means to uh, save my life. They, they eat things and I don't, anyway, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> so, okay. Okay. We're going to get onto it. Yeah. Um, so every once in a while on the podcast in this space, you know, that we've created, I like to have um, guests on just to have a conversation. I like to call it an, I am with you conversation. Uh, I, I'm sure you, you see exactly where that's coming from, you know, from yeah. Jonathan's armor bearer. You know, when he looked at Jonathan in the face of that impossible 
request from his leader and said, go do all that's in your heart. I am with you, heart and soul. And I love finding out what makes second chair leaders tick. Like what was the day like, you know, when your revelation of the second chair came alive in your heart where that I am with you spirit, which you definitely carry, by the way, uh, when that came alive in you. So I just wanted to talk about that today. Let everybody hear that. So maybe start us with your story yeah. and just how you arrived at your current place in ministry. Cause it's, it's a bit interesting. No, I love it. I, what I love about that story in, in, in first Samuel 14, you know, Jonathan's going off to do this impossible task that his kind of evil, wicked dad is unwilling to do. The dude's camping out right. under a pomegranate tree, kind of waiting to die. Yet Jonathan knows that God would show up if, if there was agreement and his armor bearer goes with him. And I, I love that that part you mentioned, I'm with you heart and soul. I, the, the, the Hebrew, if it literally translates to, I am with you as if your heart is inside of you. That's the level mm. of commitment that his armor bearer goes into battle. And then we also know that God shows up, there's an earthquake, they kick butt, take names, take out the Philistines. And it also reminded me of the, 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 the story that we see with David and Jonathan, where David's out hiding out for his life in the desert. And Jonathan, scripture says Jonathan comes out and helps David find his strength in God again. And mm. I'm just so intrigued by these moments where people show up in someone else's life. And, and, and in those moments where there's agreement together, God shows up and does the impossible. And a little right. bit of my story kind of interacts with that. I, I was a very young uh, business owner in the Twin Cities. I uh, actually grew up a pastor's kid. So from six weeks on, I was in the church uh, uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, um, drove my youth pastor crazy. I remember getting called out on a Sunday night service from my dad from stage as he's doing an altar call, <laughs> he calls me out. He's going to punish me later at the same time, leaves people to Jesus at the altar. And so I uh, grew up in that, but ended up at a young age, becoming very successful in my career. By age 25, I made my first million dollars in business. Uh, by I, by age 26, I lost my first two million. Uh, just a lot of young, <laughs> uh, idealistic, entrepreneurial things. But by by the end of 26, yep. I, I I owned a business. We were doing about 17 million a year in revenue. We had about mm. 17 stores that we owned across the region, about 250 to 300 employees at any given time working for for, for me. And uh, so I experienced a massive amount of success. And, but what's so interesting about that success was it was so confusing for me because all of my siblings are in ministry. My dad um, was ordained pastor for 50 years, my grandfather for 50 years. So kind of grew up in the, the family business being ministry. Yet I was out kind of this, the successful mm. entrepreneur. And I watched a lot of my siblings really love the opportunity and success and wealth and things that I was able to do. It was a lot of things that they weren't able to accomplish in their life. And um, what was so confusing to me in that season was I actually was so miserable. It was so miserable. And the truth was I would actually pay any price for a little bit of joy and a little bit of peace in my life. I, I had all the wealth. I had the possessions. I had opportunity and success. Yet was so discontent. And I think today it's easy mm. for me to describe that discontentment as divine discontentment. I think it was from the Lord. I think it was God knew that there was a different purpose for me. Yet um, I, I also love that season of my life because 
I, I describe it like I had the idealism completely beat out of me through submission of obligation to managing a whole bunch of idealistic millennials in my job and uh, <laughs> having to run all these, these, we were in sales. I own cell phone stores actually. And, and so uh, I, there's a scripture in Ecclesiastes too. It's really interesting. I'll, I'll read it to you. It says, to the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the, to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. And actually, in an interesting way, if I was honest about that season of my life, the truth was I, 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 I want to identify with the first part of that scripture, but I probably identify more with the wow. latter. Um, wow. I, you know, uh, I, wisdom and, 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 and contentment and joy, they were so fleeting in my life. They're, and, and what was interesting in, in that season of disappointment or discontentment was uh, it, it was in a season of success. It was in a season where most people would mark it as you're doing really, really mm. well in life. Yeah, I couldn't settle this uh, discontentment. And, and truth be told, I was also a pretty cynical Christian at that time. I kind of had saw church for what it was growing up in the church, growing up in the business of ministry. And um, I was very cynical towards what church was about and what church was doing. Yet in the middle of that discontentment, a dude who didn't care about my wealth, didn't care about my success, cared about me personally, he invited me to this church plant uh, meeting in a high school, and that church was Substance. And I mm. remember uh, rolling in on a Sunday morning, and I uh, it was like 8.30, and all, there was all these people with flags in the parking lot. And I was like, are these people like on drugs or something? It's really early <laughs> to be this excited for anything. And I, I felt like I was rolling into a state fair and uh, went in the church. Everyone was so friendly to me. And I went into the auditorium. It was really dark in there. And there was a rapper on stage and a person DJing. And it, you got to remember, it's about nine in the morning at this point. And I had no clue. I'd never seen church like that. I'd never seen church that was alive, people that were wow. nice to each other, that was welcoming to someone from the outside. They didn't care what I looked like. And they welcomed me in. And it, I, I remember, well, two things happened that Sunday. I criticized everything they did because that was the cynicism in my heart. And then secondarily, the Lord spoke to me and said that you're supposed to stay here. He, he really gave me a word. This is where you're supposed to be. And I remember that Sunday, Pastor Peter spoke. And, and it was the first time maybe in a long time in my life, I heard the Holy Spirit. And, and the Lord said, you're, wow. you're, you're supposed to serve that man. You're supposed to serve his vision and stay here. And that's really all I got at that moment. Um, I still criticized everything. But interestingly enough, years later, I am now responsible for everything I <laughs> criticized in that church. I and, was going to uh, say, I'm pretty sure that's your job now. Yeah, I basically took on all my criticisms. And now I get Amazing. to be the bearer of everyone's complaints. But through that journey, I actually uh, I actually was uh, attending church. I remember they did their kind of their catalyst offering and they they had this big campaign to, to raise money. And I, I just remember being kind of cynical and saying they have all these announcements, they have all these things they they're saying, but no one's ever invited me personally into it. And just was cynical about the offering. In fact, I remember on a Saturday night, um, I was in my house. I was living in my dream house at this time. I had uh, multiple properties that I owned and I'm kind of surrounded by the, the example, the idol, if you will, of my success. And I just remember crying out to God. And I, I just said, 
I wasn't really, it was, it was what we call whimper seating. I was kind of whining and interceding at the same time. But I, I remember just telling God, I will never do anything at that church unless someone invites me into doing it. I won't, I'm not going to just fall for their gimmicky announcements. And it was that next morning at church on Sunday, there was a 21 year old intern named Grace who uh, had joined the internship. She was about six months off of being set free from drug use, joined the internship. Um, we're substance church, so we're a little looser with our, our our philosophy of who can be an intern, substance, get it. And uh, she joined the internship and, uh, and really got involved, but she served in kids ministry. What was interesting about Grace was uh, she served in our kids ministry. She never forgot my name and my kids' names. And I remember I checked my kids in and she'd always remember us and wow. she'd always say this. She's like, you made it to church today. You made it. That's such a big deal. And and that Sunday, she actually said, "Hey, I love you guys. I'd love, I'd love you for you to think about serving in kids ministry with me. I, you guys are awesome mm. to be around." And she has no clue that that night before I prayed that I yelled at God, like God, I'll never do anything unless someone invites me in. What was interesting was it wasn't a person in the context of my life, in the season of life, in my socioeconomic class or anything. It was just a 21 year old intern who invited me in, and that I began to serve in kids ministry that Sunday, and that actually began to wow. set me free. And help me rediscover my purpose in in in, in ministry. Wow! And it was that simple invitation that began. It was actually that invitation that led to a series of transformations in my life that I think would never have taken place if Grace wouldn't have invited me in to wow. serve. In fact, serving was a big part of me being set free in ministry, and so uh, that's kind of my story into substance. Yeah, and I think we need to remember all of us leading in church we need to remember that you never know who's walking through the doors on a sunday that 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 i know that's a often repeated line probably anymore you know in like a pre-service huddle or something but it is so true and you just you just don't know especially in kind of this season i don't need to get off on this but just this season where we're struggling to build teams, you know, yep. where we're kind of struggling to find people to want to work. You just never know, you know, where that, where that next invite is going to land and what those words mean to somebody. So maybe, maybe somebody, you know, you can just stop this episode right there. That's what you needed to hear today or something. Well, and I, I think even in my own story, I would have paid anything for a little bit of joy and a little bit of peace. I, the, wow. the level of isolation I felt walking in, to a church, the level of uh, maybe shame or discouragement, uh, how uncomfortable I felt being there. I remember I I would always sit eight rows back on the left side of the auditorium <laughs> with my arms crossed, kind of criticizing everything the church would do. And I, I, I have a tendency now when I walk on stage to look over in that same section and just realize wow. there's a person yeah. who's isolated, they're disconnected, they're living in some shame, they're maybe addicted to something, and they're one Beautiful. invitation away from a breakthrough in their life. They're one conversation Beautiful. away from freedom. And so... Beautiful. Yeah. Okay, so tell me about the day that you realized your your calling and your assignment in ministry was to the second chair because you carry this as well as like anybody I know out there and your your voice is so clear and so good on it. You know, I, I guess I'm on this hunt for people who have this revelation in their heart. Like this is actually, this is not a stepping stone for me. This is what yeah. I'm called to, you know, in this season. And for you, I've heard you describe it as both to the second chair, but also just plain old to your pastor. Yeah. So I guess, would you just unpack that? Like when was, 
the day that that came alive for you? <laughs> well, I, I first, I think a lot of people idolize a very specific place in the flow chart. And right. the things that I've learned is uh, a, a greater position of leadership does not mean more autonomy and freedom. It simply means more responsibility and commitment. And right. I, I think a part of that, the Lord giving me my business experience was kind of the workout that need for senior leadership, even out of my heart. Um, I'd had it. I knew the pain of it. I knew the toil of it. And so specifically for me, God, you know, I, I don't think God gives every single person a very specific like word from heaven. I think we see all throughout scripture where, you know, in the old Testament, God speaks to man and we see Jesus speaking to the disciples. We see this and with Paul to Timothy, Paul brings up, Hey, Timothy, be reminded with the laying on of hands, you received a prophetic word for your life. Uh, for me, it was a little different. I, I, I remember my moment. I honestly, in leadership, I, I'm kind of a one talent person. I, and I, I want to steward that well. I don't. I've never been the most talented person, and um, I, I, I meaning there was never this time in my career journey where I'm like, I am going to be an executive pastor of a great church in America. Right. That right. there. There was this word from the Lord, and this was it. Nate, I want you to be a facilitator and a contributor to the vision and mission I've given Pastor Peter and Carolyn. And I, I mm -hmm. do remember that moment I got that word into my heart. And I it, it, it set me free because I, I watch a lot of people uh, pursue vocational positions to pursue opportunities in ministry. I watch a lot of, if you will, free agent type uh ministry experts try to pursue very specific roles. If I could be the youth pastor, that's a stepping stone to a campus pastor. That's a stepping stone to maybe an executive pastor may set me up to be a senior pastor. There's this idea of a vocational roadmap for us. And for me, it's just different. I, I, I like to talk with my pastors about what the next 30 years looks like together in ministry. I, 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 I think for my life, I, I've learned that it's, I don't have opinions about what they should do. I'm a steward of opinions in relationship to the vision and mission that God's given Beautiful. them. I, yeah. I try to bring my leaders uh, more options than than problems. I, I try to give perspective on what could create momentum versus uh, risk mitigation on what we can't do. I so for me, I I I I I, I don't know what it is. I kind of just. Uh, became it's kind of even how my business career worked. I just worked harder than everyone else and stayed around long enough. So it taught me the principle of consistency over the long haul will always trump uh, these momentary desires. I I think one of the the criticisms I have, I, or critiques I have of people in ministry is we we overestimate what should happen in the next few years of our life and we underestimate right impact we can make in a generation. And as I've observed the heart of my leaders, they're, they're just still the same people they were when I first met them. They're consistent. And God gave me a, a, a burden to serve them. And so that burden is so, so unshakable. And I think a secondary thing when I, I, I kind of felt like I knew my role um, in relationship to them is I, I feel very seated in serving them. Mm. Uh, if they want to do... Uh, 
this, we, we launched an EDM album in 2017, kind of unique. Not a lot of churches doing that. That right. was big heart of my pastor and his vision. I, I, I love it, man. We're doing EDM. We're going to do EDM. We're going to write books. <laughs> we're writing books. If you want to go do this, we're doing that. Like, let's go. I, one of the things that I've always said to my pastor is like, Hey man, what do you want to do? And it does remind me of that story I mentioned earlier of David hiding out in the desert. And, and the truth is, uh, for us as a church, unlike maybe some other great successful churches up there, everything has not always been up and to the right for us as a church. There, there have been yeah, some hard seasons, and those have, there's been some hard seasons. And funny enough, what was very interesting is the season that I came on staff at the church. So basically, what happened is I I wrote a three page job description. I sent it to the executive pastor at the church, and I said, "Hey, here's how I think I could serve the church." They sent me a job offer. It was less than I made when I was 22 working in the Mall of America. Um, I didn't care about the money. Money wasn't my issue. Purpose was, and so I took the job. began to serve. Uh, ended up serving on the executive team at the church. began to serve the mission and vision of the house. Um, I was unaware that this was maybe the lowest moment of Pastor Peter's ministry career. Um, in fact, during that season of time, he he was actually going through a season of wondering if he should even be a senior pastor anymore. Wow. And, but wow. for me, it was the moment when I was coming most alive in my calling, maybe at any point at all in my adult experience. And so what was the highlight of my life was actually the lowest moment of his life. And um, I, I always had this, I, I can't describe it completely, but I always had this unique burden to pray and intercede for Pastor Peter and Carolyn. Mm-hmm. It existed um, before I came on staff. I was a, a board member at the church. I served as a trustee, ended up coming on the team. And I always felt this heavy burden to be praying for them. And so when I came on the team, I, I, I just would actually pursue Pastor Peter to help me kind of unearth what I was supposed to be doing yet was so interesting. I was so unaware that this was the lowest moment in his, in his ministry career, um, which is funny to think back years later today. Um, But I do think it's like that story of David hiding out in the desert, um, hiding from King Saul. King Saul's coming out to try to kill him. And scripture says that Jonathan comes out to the desert and helps David find his strength in God again. And right. I, I uniquely feel like God s- sent me at the right moment to find the hope and purpose in my life. But in mm. that same way, and it was interesting because scripture says that Jonathan and David entered into a covenant. And uh, I don't want to get into covenant relationships and how people view those, but I do feel like there is somewhat of a a kindred relationship in the, in the divine order of priority of our roles and responsibilities in the church. I, I really do believe in serving my pastor's vision and, and committing to that. I I believe in submitting first and foremost to the organization's direction and the vision God's given our pastors before it is my personal calling, the opinions of my spouse, my departmental responsibilities. And honestly, I think it was one of those, those divine relationships where uh, God used me to help Pastor Peter find his strength in God again. And Mm. uh, I I actually think there's a lot of lead pastors that are out there right now that are listening to this maybe right now. And there are people that are also listening to this and God has just called you to help them find their strength in God again. Uh, One of the things that we've seen in the last three years is so many pastors to, to lose focus, to lose consistency, to lose commitment to that very reason why they were called in the very beginning. Wow. And I just think that 
you know, we, we see this all throughout scripture. It's always the coming together of a couple people where we see transformation happen. We see that, uh, you know, the famous scripture of two of you agree on earth concerning anything you ask, my father in heaven will do it for you. Matthew 18. Right. There's some power in the agreement, but I also believe there's a divine order to the agreement. Yes. One of the things that I've learned is that order determines our abundance. And I, I don't think it's wrong for people to have an opinion over their vocation or their paycheck. But, man, if you don't love your lead pastor and you love your paycheck and your platform opportunity more than your lead pastor, I, that's just not going to create a, a unified team. Right. I think I've learned over the years that unity and alignment trumps talent and idealism any day of the week. And yep. I, I think... One of the things I, I think early on that I, I observed other leaders not doing that I committed to do, and I think it helped that I was a pastor's kid, is I just started asking Pastor Peter what he wanted to do. <laughs> and they, uh, there, there was nothing really profound. It's like, Pastor Peter, what do you want to do? But I do think there's something divine in that. I think yeah. there's something divine in that, that God gives the vision to the lead pastor. And then he, as we, as you've talked about many times on your podcast, he then God calls people to that, that pastor. And that's right. And I, I just have learned the power of that unity and the power of that alignment. I, I think we have got to remember what you're saying here, that the, the stakes are so much bigger than some of the things that get airtime. You know, we, we get worried about, you know, our, our job title, our compensation, what, you know, whether we got seated on the second row or the first row or, you know, whatever, like we, we get so caught up on a whole bunch of stuff when I love this idea you're talking about of, of, you know, Jonathan helping David find his strength in the Lord again. Yeah. I'm reminded of summer of 2020. Of course, none of us had anything going on in the summer of 2020, <laughs> but, um, you know, I was in a really, my wife and I both were in a really discouraging season in yeah. right about August of 2020. We, we we were going through what everybody else was going through. Um, but I was just starting to think thoughts. I didn't want to think about ministry about, I mean, I want, I was kind of starting to look for the exit ramp. If I'm being honest, yeah. I just, I, I just was not, not in a great place for a couple of reasons. And, um, I called a couple of my friends that I knew to call who I knew would bring me back, you know, to center. Here's what I didn't know. And I wouldn't know for about 18 months is what I didn't know is that my own pastor, we had been really walloped here in the Northwest in yeah. that, that summer. And what I didn't know was that uh, my own pastor, you know, he's in his early sixties at the time, he was really starting to ask himself if, if he was done. Oh. You know, and and he would only tell us about a year and a half later that he had been at that place. And I just thought it was interesting, first of all, you know, going back and comparing notes that I think a lot of us up here were at that place at the same time. And I guess I'm, I'm thankful, number one, you know, that I, I found my way back to a place of health because I needed it. But then I also think in terms of a pastor, like I knew that that my voice and my I'm with you would mean a lot. And I just am so thankful I held on to that. I know, I know you've had, you know, many moments where you've had to hold on to it. And I'm just so thankful for that because we, we forget how much it means to our senior leaders yeah. when they just know I got a lot of problems. Nate's not one of them. 
Yeah, you know, I got a lot of problems. Brandon's not one of them. In, in fact, I asked him in, in that summer, I said, what do you need from me? And he was like, honestly, just don't be a problem and keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> and, oh. and I'm like, that's the greatest way I lift your arms up right now is don't be an issue. <laughs> you know, I realize that when it comes to these the gifts from God, I, I, I don't know enough if we recognize senior leaders as gifts from God. Right, I, I right. think a lot of times we take them for granted. They do these things. They serve in these roles. Uh, none of us can fully understand the the full burden that, that your pastor and my pastor fully carries uh, in their their spirit journey, in their emotional life, their mental life. And that agreement together is so powerful. We see it all throughout scripture that this, this idea, and I, you know, imperfect in that journey, imperfect in my, but one of the things I committed to early on, I had a, a great mentor teach me about honor, teach me about serving a leader. And uh, one of the things I've always committed to is to be very, very quick to submit my insecurities to my leaders and submit it with solutions. And a lot of times people want to give their their opinions and their ideas. It's almost like church leadership teams can incidentally become ideation teams that all we do is brainstorm and brainstorm and brainstorm. And we never give solutions to complex problems. And one of the things that I noticed with my leader is if I could just give him a few options to choose from. At first I submit, hey, here's my insecurities. Here's the things I'm growing in. Here's how I'm overcoming it, giving them opportunity to speak to that. But then also giving them a few options to choose from, it just sets them free. And one of the things that we've learned over the years is a united team around even an average idea can go much further than a disunited team arguing about what the best idea is. In fact, a lot of Brilliant. what Substance has actually been able to accomplish is, listen, we can't take credit for all of the miraculous things that have taken place time and time again. We've seen God show up and do the miraculous, yet that's what happens when there's unity. That's what happens when there's agreement. And and I, I just know that my pastors constantly profess of the miracles of God and the provision of God. And they're constantly committed to God's word and they're constantly committed to prayer. And that is modeled to me. It makes it very easy for me then to lead back up into them and say, hey, honestly, this I got weird when this situation happened and I didn't handle it perfectly. I want to submit that to you because I actually believe a friend of mine, Pastor Matt Keller, says it this way. Teachability is the ability to relearn what you think you already know. And if I'm not staying in a teacher. Spirit. I'm not staying in a, a, a posture of, of of receiving perspective back. I, I can't fully be who I need them to be as pastors. And, and so I have actually learned that I could be the key to unleash their purpose. And here's what I think pastors and staff miss time and time again, if they serve in the second chair or in other roles in the church is, I think there's a scarcity mentality at the church that somehow God is limited to uh, socioeconomic situations or geographical situations or the limits of your top givers in the church. Somehow God thinks your church can only do these small things. And, uh, time and time again, I've seen God do every single thing that exists in our church is the miraculous hand of God moving in his provision and his way showing up. And it, it has all happened not because we had these amazing concepts and amazing ideas. In fact, many of the best ideas we have were the worst. They were good (laughs) ideas. They just weren't God ideas. They weren't God's timeline and and God's plan for our life. Once again, 
It's an overestimate, underestimate reality. I've watched my pastors be consistent in the blessing in the and consistent in the waiting and consistent in the nose. And to me, that gives me the authority to, to stay committed. Very good. Okay. I got one more question. I want to ask you that I was really, really interested in asking you, Mr. Uh, you know, I made, made and lost $2 million by age 26 guy. Yeah. Okay. So here's my question. My question is, Number one, are you ambitious? I think I know the answer to that. Um, so are you ambitious? And if so, how do you balance having ambition while at the same time staying submitted to yeah. something a whole lot bigger than you? Because you know as well as I do, that comes with laying things down. So I, well, why don't you just, I have a couple of things yeah. I'd want to say, but but tell me what your framework is on that. Well, a great mentor of mine, a uh, person I get to spend time with, his name is Lane Schranz. He, he works yeah, for he's great. Church of the Highlands. And, and one of the things he taught me early on, I had the privilege of getting to connect with him early on in my, my ministry journey at Substance was, hey, Nate, you have to be willing to lay down everything you love to ultimately do what you're called to do. And mm -hmm. he gave me examples over the years of what he's had to do. I did think early on I would be the exception to that and not have to do that. But uh, I would say every promotion that has taken place for me in ministry and leadership has happened because I was willing to die to something else. Uh, mm. so I am extremely ambitious. I am so thankful that I have a, like we have a hundred year vision for substance. So mm. we, I live in an ambitious world. The, the, the vision far out, out, uh, outpaces our resources currently. And one Beautiful. of the things I watch a lot of leaders get stuck in is they limit the capacity of the church based on their own vocational journey. And for me, mm. I've always create, I've always looked at it this way. If I, to the degree I'm willing to serve that vision and create depth and breadth and width and opportunity expanse. Like I don't see like for substance, let's launch another campus on the other side of the city. I'm we're thinking, what can we do to be a part of a global church planting movement that shapes and forms the next generation? Great. So the, 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 the opportunity ambition is this. I've earned the trust and I've constantly committed to re-earn trust on a regular basis from my leaders. And because of that, because of that, I have the opportunity to be sent out on behalf of them apostolically many times to serve around the world. And I think a lot of people have such small thinking about what their opportunities can be because they underestimate what could happen if we just committed long enough together. Very and good. I've watched the, I've watched substance. I remember we were in a season as a church where the team wasn't united. There wasn't unity and alignment. It was, it was in disarray. It was kind of when I first came on and, and we became hyper-focused on unity and alignment. In fact, I'll say this, this, this is not maybe the most popular thing, but I, I killed the women's ministry. I killed the men's <laughs> ministry. I killed the marriage ministry. I was like ministry killer for about two years in our church so that we could get back and focus on the, the, the core reason why we started as a church, which was ministry ownership and small groups. So we wanted Very to good. The top two predictors of people's spiritual growth, top two predictors of people being satisfied with your churches, how many close, intimate Christian friends do they have at any given time? And do they have weekly ownership and ministry that charges them up? We stripped away everything else that didn't focus on that. We committed it. We committed to unity and alignment. And here's what happened. 
Within a short period of time, our church resources went from $3 million to $37 million in 36 months. Our, wow. our church income quadrupled in that same period of time. And I actually believe that it was not because we had great ideas. I don't think it's because we had the best even methodology. I think we had unity around even basic ideas. Very good. To the vision God given our pastors. And because of that, we began to have the ability to, you know what happened? The, 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 because there was a priority and order in what we were committed to, it was the vision and mission that given by our pastor first, then our department, then our personal passions, then the outside noise around us, because there was a divine order to that, there was a divine abundance that came from that. Mm. In fact, mm. it felt like the order affected our abundance it, because of, 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 of a priority around unity and alignment. Every single department started thriving in resources, started thriving in volunteers, started thriving in, in, in money to spend in their budget, simply around this simple concept. And I think we have such a scarcity mentality when it comes to the kingdom of God that limits where we could actually exist in an org chart, that limits our opportunity for ministry, that limits our opportunity for a platform. I One of my greatest honors is the getting to serve on behalf of my pastors I get to speak on their behalf uh, around the world. I, I get to be in relationships with some of the most influential people in the world simply because of Lent credibility, yeah. if you will, the Lent anointing of my lead pastors and the work that they've done for decades before me. So Very good. Very good. Hey, I love your voice. I love your perspective. I'm thankful that you have found life in the second chair, maybe someone today just needs to catch that. You know, there there is so much life in this place as we hold our pastor's arms up. So thanks so much for your voice today. I'm going to give you the last 30 seconds and you can land the plane on this big, big old question here. Uh, what is your heart for local church leaders in this season that we're leading in right now? Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. We see in scripture, <laughs> we see this real quick. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. It is your call. Yeah. He has called us to holiness. He has called us to Very purity. Good. If we get obsessed with anything else, we miss it. Stay in it. Stay in it. But stay holy. Stay pure. So good. So good. Thanks, Nate. Love you, man. Thank you. To find the episode guide, visit our website, leadingsecond.com forward slash podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram at Leading Second and join us on the Leading Second Collective on Facebook. 